0: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and with me on the pod today, we've got former co-host, and now uh, over on Panther Lair, Jim Hammett. Jim, thank you so much for joining us.
1: What's going on, Corey? It's always good to be back at the old podcast and talk a little pit sports.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, we're we're thrilled to have you. Um, What we're going to be doing in this episode is going through sort of a season in review for pit football and it was a very odd sort of a year. They finished 7 and 5, which at the beginning of the season I had you on for a season preview episode and then we kind of both said, yeah, 7 and 5 is about where we see this team finishing up and that would be solid, that would be a decent season. But I think the manner in which they finished 7 and 5 has people feeling pretty upset, and understandably so, because they lost the last two games of the year, because they could have been uh, certainly an 8, but if not even a 9, maybe even a 10-win team, and it just all sort of fell apart late. So, how did this team unravel? Because they were in a really good spot, even though they weren't necessarily playing great football, they still had a great opportunity in front of them. They lose to Miami, which sort of knocks them out of the uh, race for the Coastal, and then after that, uh, the, of course, we saw at the, the end of the season losing two big games to uh, Virginia Tech and then, of course, Boston College at the very end. So how did things unravel from your perspective?
1: I mean, I think it's pretty simple with this team, and it was kind of the story all year. It just, it, it just came down to their inability to score. I mean, you, you go back and you look through those five losses i mean virginia they scored two touchdowns penn state one touchdown miami zero touchdowns virginia tech zero touchdowns and boston college they scored one so i mean it it just comes down to uh you know in big games it just the offense disappeared for what for one reason or another there was no good reason for it i mean they they showed the ability to move the ball but uh you know in, in the red zone this offense just never seemed to click and you know they had to settle for field goals way too often and it, it You know, Boston College, Miami, Virginia Tech, those aren't great teams. Those are winnable games. And, you know, it's just a shame that they had such a great defense throughout the season uh, and they just really didn't seem to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that seemed to be the case that it, it was really just the offense. I mean, the defense played exceptionally well as they did last year. When they made it to the ACC championship, and again, it was the offense that let them down in a different way. Last year, it was entirely on the passing game. This year, it was a little bit more spread out. Looking at the, the offense and the struggles, where can we look to, to really put fault? Because a few weeks ago, I did a podcast, and I... I came up with that it really is spread out, that people who were just blaming one party, that that's too simplistic, because I certainly think Whipple is to blame, especially in the red zone when the play calling got more conservative. I think Pickett's got some blame. I thought he was decent, but not great. He didn't really have a big step-up year. I thought the offensive line didn't improve. They didn't give Pickett any time, and they didn't help the running backs. The running game just was non-existent and of course the receivers had some drop passes and the tight end position just wasn't there so to you is is it pretty much spread out or is there maybe one more one party more at fault than another
1: no I mean I think you kind of summed it up pretty well I mean you 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 go back and uh, you know Pitt's offense wasn't very good in 2018 but they found a way to be somewhat successful and you know have a chance to win games and it was because of the running game and you had four senior offensive linemen two senior running backs a senior fullback and that's what they had and that's what they knew they had and that's how they won football games this year they didn't have just one thing they could really lean on they didn't have a great quarterback they could lean on they didn't have a great playmaker a great offensive line and you know first year coordinator trying to put it all together so I think it was just you know just the cause of all those things being thrown together is what happened with this pit offense i mean i like you said i thought kenny pickett had moments i mean i think he if nothing else the kid knows how to win games towards the end of games he he came up big in the fourth quarter a couple times this year i think uh you have the receivers i think you saw good things from Taysier Mack and Shaky Jacques Louis and Maurice French but not on a consistent basis i mean you didn't get much out of the tight ends and you know he had four brand new starters on the offensive line and it showed at times and the, and just you know The problem is, the old saying goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Well, Pitt had four running backs, and I don't think they had one running back. And I think that was also a problem this year as well.
0: Yeah, I remember putting out a Twitter poll. I forget after what game it was, but I put out a Twitter poll asking uh, Pitt Twitter, how many legit ACC starting running backs does this team have? And I think at the time, the options were zero, one, two, three, and I think two. Was was the answer the the most common answer. And as it turned out, it was it was really zero. I, I mean, I guess you could argue maybe one. And moving forward, you hope that maybe they will get to one or even two. But when it came to this year, it really seemed like zero because Sibley got hurt uh, about what halfway through the year. So and he was never able to break through. Carter, who was more of just a specialty sort of guy. You had Vincent Davis, who shows promise, but also made some mistakes. And then AJ Davis was good, but again, never broke out. And so really, it did sort of come down to, as you said, you know, four running backs, no running backs, you would think that with four that they would have at least one, but really this year really didn't seem like that that was the case.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's sometimes it, it seemed like the play calling didn't allow for the running game to get established. There was a lot of games this year where Pitt just simply didn't even try to run the ball. I mean, you know, it just really came to a head in that Virginia Tech game. And, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett struggles in the rain and Pitt just insisted on passing the ball nearly, you know, I think the first 10 offensive plays, I think, were called passes. And, it, it, you know, sometimes you don't allow your running backs to get Get into the rhythm of the game, but you know, Todd Sibley averaged five yards a carry. Vincent Davis broke out, had a couple big runs this year. I think AJ Davis uh showed some ability in the passing game and had a couple nice runs. But if you don't tr- try to establish a run, you're never going to be a good running team. So I think that was part of the issue as well.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think that was a huge problem is they. They just never were able to establish that. There was never a threat that the running game was really going to get going, and that's at least what they had last year. Now, they didn't establish a passing game, but at least the running game worked. This year, it didn't happen. In terms of the offensive line, Jim, how much of that, both for establishing a running game but then also giving Kenny Pickett time to find open receivers, how much of the offensive line was a big issue, and do you see that improving moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think it'll improve moving forward. They they started some sophomores this year, and I think with offensive line, I think actually getting that game experience also helps you. I think guys like Jake Cradle and Carter Warren and uh, Carson Van Lynn and Gabe Hoy, I mean, I think those are guys you kind of want to build around. And, of course, you have a good center in Jimmy Morrissey. But, yeah, this year I think they got exposed a little bit. I mean, Kenny Pickett did not always have time. Uh, he got sacked quite a bit. He he took more hits than he really should as a starting quarterback. And, and again, it goes back to that running game where, you know, Pitt only rushed for 1400 yards as a team. And last year they had 2000 two, 1000 yard back. So I, I think it'll get better over time. I think, you know, a part of it played in in experience. Part of it was playing in a new offensive system and, you know, just trying to find that right combination. I think they were still looking to find that, but I think going into next year, I think uh, this unit gained some valuable experience. I think they have a really good center, the best center in the ACC and Jimmy Morrissey. So, I think it, there there's hope uh for the future. I mean, I don't I don't there's no guarantee it'll be good, but I think there's some building
0: blocks at least. Okay, well for for a lot of pit fans, that's uh that's good to hear. Now, basically at this point, I think everyone is at the level with Pat Narduzzi where it seems like he's on a hot seat now. I, I don't think any serious person thinks that he should go this off season, but I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, "Look, if next year with a much easier schedule, where you only have one difficult non-conference game, and where your uh, your ACC schedule shouldn't be too hard, it's not like you, you don't have Clemson on the on the schedule. Uh, looking at things, next year should be at the very least an eight-win year, if not maybe even a nine-win year." So and because of that, that if Pat Narduzzi does not get there next season, if he doesn't turn this program next year into the kind of program that everyone envisions moving forward as a upper tier ACC team that's going to be ranked, that's going to have a shot at the ACC championship game. If that isn't the case next year, that there's a real chance that he could be fired. Is that how you see it as well?
1: Yeah, I mean you're you're going and you're in year 5 and he's never uh lost fewer than 5 games. 8 and 5, 8 and 5, 5 and 7, 7 and 7. And I'm going to assume they're they're going to beat Eastern Michigan for a third uh, 8 and 5 season. So, I mean, that that's the reality of it all. I mean, his record in the ACC is a little bit better, but overall you'd like you'd like to be a little bit further ahead than in year 5. So, I mean, I I don't know if there's a set number or there's a a set thing that he needs to accomplish next year, but I think winning the Coastal would would put him in good graces again. I think winning eight or nine games or more would put him in good graces again. I think he does need to show a little bit of promise next year, but it's kind of like a two, two-fold thing with Pat Narduzzi. It's because, uh, you know, for so many years, Pitt had that quick coaching turnover, and in so many ways that just affects your, your program, and there are things – you you see on the recruiting trail that Pat Narduzzi can accomplish that maybe a first or second year coach can't. And I mean, it's kind of having that identity. It's kind of, you know, he's able to recruit a couple different kids that maybe a first year coach wouldn't. So I don't think there's a bad thing. I know some people kind of make fun of the idea of, you know, consistency and stability. And, but I I do think that's a real thing. And I think uh, your assistant coaches are able to build, relationships with recruits. And I think that's a good thing. So I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Pat Narduzzi's going into his sixth, seventh, eighth year at, at Pitt. I mean, but he does need to show a little bit better results on the field.
0: Now, when it comes to offensive coordinator, we obviously saw them make a change last year from Sean Watson and go to Mark Whipple. We mentioned how bad the offense was this year. And while it wasn't entirely Mark Whipple's fault, if you you know, branch it out and say, okay, well, at some point, the coach takes responsibility or the coordinator takes responsibility for all of the things, for the receiver drops, for the lack of a running game, for the O-line, for, pay, for everything, is there any chance that Mark Whipple maybe is the sacrifice of the season uh, and they make a change there again after just one year at this point? Or, if not him, is there someone else that you could see, well, maybe this is the thing to to maybe make some sort of a sacrifice or public showing that things are going to be different than this past year.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly who it's going to be, but I'm I'm assuming something's going to happen to shake up the coaching staff. I mean, it's happened a lot lately. Uh, You know, you have Corey Sanders and Archie Collins, new guys in the secondary. Randy Bates is a fairly new defensive coordinator. Uh, You know, Charlie Partridge was brought in uh, to replace Tom Sims at defensive line a few years ago. So Pat Narduzzi does have a track record of he's not afraid to mix up his staff, and I think anyone. Uh, coaching offense right now, probably not named Chris Beatty, uh, at least has to think about it. I mean, I'm sure Mark Whipple's going to get a second year. He probably deserves a second year. But, I mean, if you're Pat Narduzzi, you know, you're signing up for the offensive coordinator that just operated the 92nd best offense in the country this year. So there's a little risk factor in Narduzzi, uh, you know, trusting uh, Mark to, you know, do a better job next year. So we'll see if he can do that. But, I mean, I I think the obvious answer – you know, if they are going to make a change, uh, coaching change, it's probably tight end coach Tim Salem. I mean, I think that's been speculated for a while. Who knows if that happens or not, but there, there's there been a lot of signs through the years, Uh, you know, just the inability to recruit a tight end, having to rely on graduate transfers all these years. I mean, at some point there has to be accountability there. So I don't, I don't know what, if that'll happen, I mean, I think Tim Salem recruits fairly well. I think he does a good job, uh, you know, bringing in talent from the New York, New Jersey region. But at the end of the day, uh, the tight end position at Pitt has kind of been a black hole on the offense for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah, it does seem like now part of that is because the offensive systems, they didn't really use tight ends. So maybe tight ends saw it that way. But I would guess that if someone's going to go, it's probably going to be Tim Salem, the tight ends coach. Uh, when it comes to Whipple, I agree with you. I think he gets another year. I think, yeah, he does probably deserve it. The the risk is, and, and you mentioned it, is that there's a very real chance that next year could be Pat Narduzzi's last year. If this team does not turn it around, if they don't get to, again, at least eight wins, but even that would be sort of a tricky place. Nine wins and or an ACC Coastal Championship. That, to me, would be a slam dunk. Yeah, you're that's job security. And if the offense performs next year, like they did this year, then there's a real chance they don't get to that number. And Pat Narduzzi is fired, not because of the defense and not because of any big head coaching thing, but because the offense lost so many games. And so there's certainly a risk in just sort of doing the same thing over next year and hoping that it's going to be a little bit better. Again, I'm not saying that Making one change, making a coordinator change is going to change anything or everything, I should say. I'm also not saying that not doing the change won't make things better. Basically, they could bring everyone back and it could be the entire same staff. And maybe next year they just will naturally be better after a year of stability and and growth and all that stuff. But it certainly seems like a risk because, again, if this offense performs next year like they did this year, I can't see them winning nine games or making an ACC championship. And if that doesn't happen, I think we're both in agreement that there's a very real chance that Narduzzi could be fired.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. Again, it always comes back to, you know, Heather like did give Pat Narduzzi an extension, but she's not the one that hired him. So I, I, and we, we, we've seen with her and and throughout the rest of the athletic department is she's not afraid to bring in people that she knows and people that she wants to hire. So I I, I don't know if there's this moment or this thing that can get Pat Narduzzi fired next year, but I I do think the fan base is a little bit restless. I do think they do, would like to see eight or nine, ten wins at some point, and you know I think year six in a coaching ten years probably a fair time to ask for it, uh, especially with a good defense and it's probably going to be a good defense again next year. A senior quarterback, uh, you know four returning offensive linemen, um, you know I think they have a, a few exciting recruits coming in that could probably help on offense at running back and receiver. So I mean I don't think it's a tough ask to you know expect eight or nine, ten wins next year, and I you know, coming short on that would not be a good look uh, for the coaching staff.
0: One more question on football, Jim. Let's talk about the bowl game. So Pitt got selected to the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, it used to be the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl, or at least that shuttered down. And then and then now this is the, the Detroit Bowl. Um, it's a n- not a very attractive uh, bowl game, not a destination people are dreaming of going to the day uh, after Christmas. And the opponent is not something particularly interesting. Uh it's Eastern Michigan, which is Heather likes former school where she was the athletic director before Pitt. But that's a 6 and 6 team in the MAC. They're not that good. Not many people are going to want to go, not many people are going to want to watch. But I argued online that this is actually a good scenario for Pitt because they got the easiest opponent. And ultimately, yeah, fans a trip to Annapolis or New York is is a bit more clamorous than Detroit. But ultimately, at this point, it's not like the Orange Bowl was on the line. Either way, you weren't going to a sunny, nice, warm place in December. So at that point, it's just win the game. I don't care where you go. I don't care what day it is. Just win the game. And if they had gone to New York, it would have been Michigan State as the opponent. If they had gone to Annapolis, it would have been Temple as the opponent. Both tougher teams. Eastern Michigan certainly should be a lot more winnable. So to me, this is, again after you finish 7-5 and five and lose the last two, this was the best-case scenario they've, they could have gotten. An easy opponent, I, I think I'm able to say, that it should be an easy game. Do you sort of see things the same way?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think after a certain point... Uh... I I don't know how big of a deal uh you know going from Annapolis to Detroit is. I mean, once you get after that first 10 12 uh, really good bull games, I mean, y- y- you know, you kind of get what you get and you just have to deal with it. And so, I think right now Pitt needs a win to finish the season. I think uh they can't go into the off season again losing a you know, a fourth straight bull game under Pat Narduzzi. So, I think this program just needs a win. Uh I I don't think Eastern Michigan is going to be a, a super tough opponent. It's obviously not an exciting draw, but I think pitches needs to win. I think they're going to do that. Um, but again, like you mentioned, it's, it's not an exciting destination. It's not a destination you want to be going into uh, the fifth year of a, a, a coaching tenure of a guy that's supposed to be turning the program around. So um, I, I think they just have to treat it like a business trip, go in, win the game, get to the offseason. season. And, you know, coaches say all the time that the biggest benefit of these bull games, really more than anything, is to, you know, get these extra two or three weeks of practice. I, I think Charlie Partridge said to us a few weeks ago, it, it's like having another spring ball. I mean, you get to see more out of these freshmen that haven't played all year. Uh, that that just gives them another chance to grow and get better and be able to contribute next year. So, I mean, it's three extra weeks of practice. It, it gives you a chance at eight wins, which they need to get to eight wins and, uh, you know, end of the season on at least a win. I mean, losing two in a row this year, they lost three in a row to end the season last year. I think they just need to find a way to finish the season with a win.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think no matter what, you've got to win. Now, knowing Pitt, there's always, of course, a chance that when they're heavy favorites against a six and six Mac team that they could lay an egg, that's definitely possible. Uh, but if that happens, I think everyone's going to be melting down. And and at this point, I can't even consider that because it would just be an absolute dumpster fire at that point. So I'm not even going to go through that possibility. I know that it is a possibility, uh, but certainly Pitt's going to be favored by a lot. Jim, before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple questions about basketball. Um, based on where this team is right now, they're 7-3. and They're 1-1 in the ACC. They've already beaten a couple... Uh, big-time programs. They beat Florida State, a team that's ranked. They beat Kansas State and Northwestern down in Florida, and uh, they beat Rutgers in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. What do you think is a realistic end scenario? If I bring you back at the end of the basketball season for a season in review like we are doing for football, where do you think this team's going to be? Do you think the NIT is a, a realistic slot for them?
1: I think so. I, I think uh, the possibility of finishing above 500 uh, you know, remains, and I think you know, winning six or seven ACC games would probably get you to the NIT. So I think that would be a great step for this program. Uh, You know, I think if they need to take care of business in these last three non-conference games, get to 10-3, and heading into January, and, you know, you try your luck in in an 18-game conference schedule. I mean, you you have to remember they do have one ACC win. They did beat Florida State. They did lose to Louisville, though. But in those 18 games, I mean, I think Pitt— Showed that they can play with those caliber of teams uh, towards the you know middle and bottom of the ACC and even even against Louisville I thought for about thirty two minutes thirty minutes the team played fairly well uh, so that they can compete with you know the Wake Forest the Miami the Boston College uh Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, those kind of teams. So, I don't think there's going to be uh you know, the past couple of years there's just been huge losing streaks in the middle of the season. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think I think they're going to find a way to win a couple games, uh you know, finish above 500. So, I think last year the team went 13 and 18 in the regular season. I mean, I, I think 17 and 14 in a 31 game regular season is you know, attainable at least. Uh I mean, I, from what I'm seeing, that they, they can compete with those middle-to-lower-tier ACC teams.
0: And then uh, one last question for you, Jim. Looking at the players on this team, you've got Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan, the returning guys. You've got Ryan Murphy, who started out the season red hot. He's since cooled down a little bit. And then you've got some freshmen like Justin Champagny and Eric Hamilton, uh, who are trying to uh, – or I should say transfer, new, new players, who are trying – to uh to to really prove themselves to really be breakout players who do you see uh, as legit and then who do you see as maybe they might be a, a flash in the pan or it might take some time
1: yeah i mean i mean looking at that roster i, I think we're starting to see xavier johnson kind of break out of that december funk he was in i, I thought i thought he looked really good against uh, louisville i thought he played well uh he looked like he was one of the two or three best players on the floor against the number one team in the country and that's kind of what we expected him to be um again, you know, Trey McGallens is up and down. Ryan Murphy looks to be up and down. I think Justin Champenny is going to be a good player at Pitt. I think right now he's probably running into a little bit of a freshman wall, but he's showing some promise there. And I, I think another guy that, that doesn't get talked about enough, but I think the past, four or five games, he's actually played very well as Adiz Tony. Uh, He kind of lost his starting spot to Justin Champagny, and that seemed to wake him up a little because I I thought he's played well the past few games. He's even hit a couple threes. His shot looks better. Uh, He's rebounding. He's, you know – that's something Jeff Capel always says about him, is he needs to be hungry, he needs to be on the glass. So I, I think they have good pieces, uh, but again, it's always going to be about consistency with this team. It seems when Xavier Johnson's up, Trey McGowan's is down, then vice versa, and you know, same thing with Champagny and Tony right now. If they could get all their players to play well at the same time, I think this, this is actually a decent team.
0: Yeah, you're right. I did forget about Odis Tony, who has been playing better as of late. It does seem like that is going to be sort of how it works out. Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan's, are going to be good. There was that fear that they we're going to drop off or hit a sophomore slump, but it seems like they've sort of stabilized. Champagne seems like a promising young freshman. Tony's been playing better. It seems like things are on the right track. I agree with you. NIT should be the goal, and I think it's a realistic goal, and so we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Again, uh, everyone, you can find him uh, writing for Panther Layer. You can also find him uh, on Twitter, at Jim Hammett. And again, thank you uh, so much for being back on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, always good to be back anytime.
0: All right. Well, uh, again, we'll we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll be back. I'll uh, talk about pit volleyball for a bit. But again, thank you, Jim Hammett. Uh, go follow him, and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment
1: that is a harsh lesson in business sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened so, up so many you know, more doors the show
0: is called the, the deal. deal listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify okay we are back again thanks for jim hammett for hopping on the podcast uh in just a moment i want to talk about uh, pit volleyball but first i do want to mention my final Top 10 of this season, of the regular season. I guess I could do one. I might do one after all the bowl games are over, although I think that's sort of unfair because you're matching teams up evenly with themselves, and so then it just leaves way for a lower team to jump up for beating a lo- another lower team where a higher team would fall just because they lost to another high... Whatever. Anyway, this is going to be the last one for the regular season and uh, maybe for the season as a whole. So my playoff... I spent a while arguing that Georgia should be in, even if they lost to LSU, because it's more impressive than what Utah or Oklahoma would do, because I thought both of those programs were overrated. I still insist that they were both overrated. Utah sort of proved it by losing in their conference championship game. All they had to do was win, and they would probably be in the playoff, and they lost. And for Oklahoma, it took them overtime to be Baylor, and I do not think that Baylor is that good I think they're decent I think they haven't played anybody the only teams they've played only team they've played is Oklahoma and they've lost twice so Oklahoma beating them doesn't prove to me that Baylor's good it proves to me that Oklahoma's not that good but give them credit they won and Georgia even though I was saying even with a loss they should get in after watching that game I was just out I I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Georgia did not look good. They did not look like they could hold a candle to LSU. And they would have likely, I mean, had they snuck in, I'm sure the committee, if they were going to rank Georgia 4, would have put LSU 2 so they don't play each other. But I would have probably put, I, I would have said that it makes sense to put LSU 1, Georgia 4. And sometimes you see a game and it's so great and you want to see a rematch of it. LSU-Georgia was not that. The SEC championship game was not that. So I had no desire to see a rematch of LSU-Georgia. And the way that Georgia played, I I, I think their resume is better than Oklahoma. But ultimately, I, I couldn't put Georgia in. So I went LSU-1, uh, Ohio State-2, Clemson-3, Oklahoma-4, Georgia-5, Florida-6, Auburn-7. I think they're criminally underranked still. Uh, Oregon-8, Alabama-9, Wisconsin-10. And then it would probably have Penn State and Memphis just on the outside, things like that. Two things I, w- I want to mention. Uh, first is uh, Auburn. I think they are uh, criminally under-ranked. Uh, I think right now they're 12 in the playoff uh, committee's rankings. To me, that's insane. The only games they've lost were to Florida, a team that's great, uh, LSU, number one team in the country on the road by a field goal, and Georgia by a touchdown. Still a really good team. So, yeah, they've lost three times, but I, I, I think it's bizarre. Also, one of the teams they beat was Oregon, a team that the uh, committee has ranked sixth. So they've got Auburn 12, Oregon 6, which if Auburn beat Oregon and has better wins, I just don't understand that at all. Now, this then leads me to the second thing I wanted to mention – uh, regarding Oregon, and that is, it is clear. It has become crystal clear that the playoff committee is broken. They do not care about your resume. They only really care about wins and losses. And that basically was the problem with uh, the the old system, the BCS, which is well, if you lose one game, it doesn't matter how tough that game is. Doesn't matter how close it was. You're out. And to me, that's ridiculous. Oregon. Lost two games this year. One of those games was a non-conference game against Auburn on the road. They lost by six points against, again, to me, top ten team in the country. If they didn't play that game, if they had just played Montana, wait, sorry, they did play Montana, if they had played Idaho and just gotten the extra win, even though it would have been a meaningless win, it wouldn't have said anything about them. Instead of 11-2, they'd be 12-1, and they would be in the playoff right now. They would be. They absolutely would be. They'd be 12-1, just like Oklahoma, but they would have looked better, and uh, they at least they would certainly have a good case for it. I don't know. Maybe Oklahoma gets in just because they've been in the name Jalen Hurts. I don't know. But Oregon has a... It's a big argument. And Oregon, also going into that Pac-12 championship, would know that... They could get in, whereas at this point, they were just playing for the Rose Bowl. No one considered them for the playoff, even if they won, which they did, of course. And so what that says to me is that it is much better, much smarter, if you're a team, to just play an easy schedule and just try to win 11 games than to actually test yourself. And if you win 10 games, or again, God forbid, if you're Auburn, 9 games— And try to have and tell the committee, judge us for what we actually did. Because they're not going to. They're not going to look that deeply at it. They're just going to look at wins. And the reason I can tell you that is because when you look at the committee and you look at the final rankings of the season, it literally just goes in order of what their record was. The first three, top three teams, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, all 13 wins. Then you've got a 12-win team in Oklahoma. Then you've got 11-win teams, Georgia, Oregon, Baylor. Then you've got 10-win teams, Wisconsin, Florida, Penn State. That is literally just the order. And so all they're doing is just taking how many wins you have and putting it in order. The only place that deviates from that is that Auburn is one spot ahead of, one spot ahead of Alabama, even though they've got one, uh, one fewer win. And Utah is a spot below where I guess they could be, but that's just because of the timing. That's because they lost late, and they didn't look good doing it. But to me, it's insane that basically all it is, is just how many wins you can amass. And preferably, if you're going to lose, lose early, because a late loss is going to hurt you, as we saw with Utah. And so if that's all it is, if you're a program, if you're an athletic director, it would be insane for you to actually go out and test yourself. Because what's the point? What is the point? All you have to do is win, and you're in. If you win 12 games and you're in a Power 5 conference, you're in. I don't, if Minnesota won all of their games, they get in. Because even in a weaker power conference, even with a weaker schedule, you're still going to do it. If Pitt won all of their games and beat Clemson in the ACC Championship, they would get in. And maybe even with one loss, depending on how that plays out. But you just can't have two losses. They're not going to put in any team that has two losses, no matter what. And you're almost definitely not going to run the table in your conference. So don't try. And it sucks to see, because... I like seeing these good non-conference games. I like seeing week one Oregon playing Auburn. To me, that was, it was exciting, and it said a lot. It showed a lot. But if you're not going to get rewarded for the win, which Auburn was not, because again, they lost three games to exceptionally tough opponents by small margins, but they're not rewarded for their win over Oregon. Because they're ranked below Oregon. And if you're not if you're going to be punished for the loss, even though it's a very understandable loss, Oregon losing to Auburn on the road in a close game to start the season, well then then what is the point? And again, I hate that because I like seeing these games. But if you're Oregon, you know that all you had to do was not play that game and you're in. And if you're Auburn, what was the reward for beating Oregon? Nothing. Because they lost three games in their conference. And it doesn't matter the eye test, how close they were, how good the opponents were. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is go out and win 12 games. And so, that to me, that is a horrible message that the committee is sending. But that is clearly the message that they are sending and that they have sent. Is win 12 games, win your conference champion, or win 11 games and your conference championship. So you finish the season with 12 wins and you're set. That's all you have to do. If you go undefeated, if you get 13 wins, you're 100% in no matter what. And if you get 12 wins, it doesn't even really matter who you've beaten. You're still going to get in. Because who did Oklahoma beat? They beat Baylor. Baylor's not that good. But they got in. And they barely beat them. Twice. But they still got in. Because they got 12 wins. Did anyone else have 12 wins? No. There were just those four teams. Three of them were 13-0, and then Oklahoma was 12-1. Didn't matter how good the 11-2 teams were. Didn't matter how good... Uh, the the, the uh, nine and three teams were or Florida at 10 and two didn't matter if you get 12 wins you're in. And so unfortunately the committee and the way it's constructed now is just telling schools don't try. just go out and win games. if you're in a power five conference, they're giving you credit for playing tough enough games. just go out and win them. At some point you're gonna have a good win even if it's not until the conference championship game. At some point you're gonna have to beat a good team. And if you do that and you just keep winning, we'll just go by the volume. We'll just go by the number. And that's what they've shown. And unfortunately, that's just what it's going to be going forward. So that's my rant. Uh, Before we go, I want to hit on pit Volleyball. Uh, Just a massive, massive disappointment for the Panthers to end the season. They had a truly phenomenal campaign. It looked like this was a team that had a legitimate chance to make it to a national championship berth, to, to maybe win a national championship. They were snubbed by the selection committee entering uh, the tournament. They were 29-1, and 1, and they were ranked second in the country in the polls. But when the committee came out, again, me on the committee, they were uh, it put in the sixth slot, which again, to me, was criminally underrated. As it turns out, it didn't matter because they lost in the opening weekend. They lost to Cincinnati in the second round. And it's just, it's really frustrating. There's no way around it. It does not mean that Pitt deserved to be ranked sixth in the country. They deserved better. Sometimes it's just a bad night, and the Panthers had a bad night. They were undefeated in the ACC. They only lost one match all season long. That was to Penn State, a team that they had already beaten in straight sets, But ultimately, it just comes down to the tournament, and they lost. And that is the sort of tragedy of of college sports. I mean, that's what it is. It all comes down to a tournament, and it's thrilling, and it's great. But I've said the same thing in basketball. It does not tell us who the best team is. It just tells us who gets hot at the right time. Now, sometimes that's the best team, but a lot of times it's not. And if you had a—this is what I actually do like about the college football playoff— the selection committee withstanding, is that the only teams that are going to play for it are the teams that had amazing seasons. Now, I'm fine with expanding it to a top eight, but to me, that's as far as it should go. Because after that, then you're putting teams on an even level who had very different seasons. And that's just the nature of it. In this case, with an NCAA tournament, as they do in basketball and all the other sports, Pitt plays Cincinnati, and they both have an equal chance to win with the exception of, in this case, Pitt got home court advantage, but they, they take these two teams who had wildly different seasons and they have the same chance to win. So I just don't like that. I've never liked that. I would like to see outside of March Madness and basketball, just because that's like a tradition and the madness is part of it. But outside of that, it's still not a good way to crown a champion And so for all the other sports, I don't particularly like it. It gives more teams a shot to compete for a national championship, but then it also devalues everything else. And what happens is Pitt's incredible season has been devalued because as great as it was, what do they get from it? All they get from it is what they've gotten before. They got an ACC championship before and they got it again. And it's great for them but it's something they've gotten before. This year was supposed to be that extra step. This year was supposed to be the national championship. And they couldn't make a run. And they had a great path. They could have done it, but they just couldn't make a run. And it's definitely frustrating. Again, I'm not saying this because they lost. That I don't like the system. I've never liked the system at least in terms of picking a champion a season long. You have the season long schedule and then all of it is essentially just boil down to this tournament and at the end. I don't love it, but that's just what it is. And it's very unfortunate that Pitt's season, you just sort of throw it out and start from scratch. And that's not to say there weren't some incredible things, and this team did some some great stuff, and there's a lot to be happy about. Another ACC championship, and Kayla Lund being the conference player of the year, and being ranked like number two in the country, it's all great. But ultimately. This program has built itself up to compete for a national championship, and they weren't able to do that this year. So as incredible a season as it is, now it's all gone, and they have to start from scratch next year. It's definitely frustrating, and it's a, a damn shame that they lost at home to Cincinnati, a team that they were better than, they had a better season than, and should have beaten. But again, that's just how it is. So pit volleyball, the season's over. It was one hell of a run with a devastatingly uh, abrupt finish, And uh, who knows, maybe next year is the year, but it's a shame how well they played all year and they got everyone's hopes up deservingly so that they could actually uh, compete for a national championship and then just fell short. It's pitting. It happens across sports. There's no discrimination. Pitting comes to everyone. That's just what it is. So on that happy note, uh, that'll be it for this episode of Unscripted. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Thank you for Jim uh, Hammett for coming on. Again, uh, this episode, this uh, podcast is on the SB Nation network of podcasts. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, Please subscribe if you can. Uh, It does a great world of help. And then also rate and review the podcast if you can. Uh, I'll be back talking about pit basketball primarily moving forward. Certainly be talking about the bowl game as that approaches – against Eastern Eastern Michigan, but it'll be mostly pit basketball moving forward. Of course, if anything comes up in the other sports, we'll be sure to mention that, talk about it as well. But until next time, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast.